This is the Jocko Underground Podcast number 33. Echo Charles is here. Yes. And me, Jocko Willink. So there's a, a phrase that I use from time to time, and that is intent has a smell. What that means is when you're doing something and you're thinking that you're going to slide by other people and you're going to make a maneuver that they're not going to see and you think you're going to get away with it, well, the intent that you have in your heart has a smell and people can smell it. Now look, mm-hmm. smells can vary in their in their strength, right? There's some smells you can barely smell. There's some smells that smell really bad. Mm-hmm. But it's very good to recognize that your intent does have a smell. And if you think you can just go around stinking, <laughs> you're wrong and you need to put that in check. So I started thinking about that. Um, and it started bringing me back. I was thinking, well, how, how is that? How does our intent have a smell? Like, Because clearly it doesn't have a, a scent that hits our olfactory nerves and processes into our brain um, that way, right? Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean. Everybody knows what, as soon as I say that, people are like, oh yeah, because yeah. we can all sense it. So I was thinking back to some earlier underground podcasts that we did, talking about body language, and how you read some of that stuff, what people are lying. And, and, and so I wanted to start with that, but there was something else that I wanted to tie into the conversation. So a couple things. This is from a, a website called ForensicColleges.com. Top 10 signs that someone's lying. Chain, number one, change in speech patterns. So this is um, the way someone's talking all of a sudden changes. Mm. Cue. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's your intent seeping out. Mm-hmm. Number two, use of non congruent gestures, similar. Similar, because now we were, you know, using our hands in a certain way. Now all of a sudden we start doing something different. Mm-hmm. Wait a second. There's something going on here. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the, what's interesting you don't really, I think if, if no one, if you didn't know any of these, People are still picking up on it. Yeah, this is in the subconscious. You can feel it when you ever walk away from a conversation and you feel a little bit. You think you just you're suspect, yeah. or as my kids call it, sus. A little bit sus. A little yes. bit sus. Why is that? Because you picked up on these signals. You don't even know what they are, yeah. but you picked up on them. Uh, not saying enough. There's a there's a thing here. When truth telling witnesses describe what they saw and are, and are asked, is there anything else? more details are revealed. But when liars are asked to go beyond their prepared stories, few to no other details are offered. That's why you get the Reservoir Dogs, that story. You've seen Reservoir Dogs? Yeah, what What, story? The whole story about the the dogs and the LAPD and he's got a bag full of marijuana and he's got all these details that he works into the story and it makes the story believable. Mm -hmm. And he has to tell that story over and over again until it becomes part of him. But most people aren't gonna go through that kind of detail. Mm. So you ask him one extra question. Ever tell you about the time the tax uh, fraud people called me? (laughs) So this was interesting. I was getting audited Mm. for real by the IRS. And as I'm getting audited for real by the IRS, I'm at an event. And I 
there's a break in the event and I get a text and luckily the break came right around lunch. So I get a text from my wife. She says, you know, it's like the IRS is going to call. You have to like answer. There's something going on. And I go, okay. So the phone rings and sure enough, it's the IRS, right? (laughs) And they start, it was early on. Did you hear about these scams where people like, hey, listen, your whole, we're going to have to freeze your bank account. We're going to have to stop your credit. Uh, We actually have contacted law enforcement. So they give you this whole freaking Yeah, that happened a few times. Or they tried it. Well, what's funny is my son, and this was probably five years ago. So my son was probably like 13 at the time. And my wife is talking. She has him on, she has this, quote IRS agent on the speakerphone and my son's going it's a scam (laughs) it's a scam but still it freaked out my wife maybe my son didn't know that we were actually for real getting audited and even that for me it made me go wait a second I know I'm for real getting audited right now by the IRS and now they're calling me so but as soon as he kind of laid into he's like hey this is so and so and I could he had a foreign accent you know he's just a little bit of a slight foreign accent but here's what's funny I said after he gave his spiel about how they're gonna flag all my accounts and freeze this and all this stuff, I go, where are you calling me from right now? And he goes, Virginia. And I go, where in Virginia? What city? I lived in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And there was a long hesitation and then he said, whatever, some town. And I go, what's the weather there like today? And then he just was wide open. And, and, but that was it. So he didn't go deep enough on his lie. He didn't yeah. cover his story well enough. <laughs> so that's why asking some questions when you think somebody's a little bit sus. Um, here's the, here's the, uh, the flip side of that. Number four, saying too much. Researchers from the Harvard Business School, Harvard Business School determined that liars trying to deceive stretch the truth with too many words. Since such a liar may make things up as they go. They tend to add excessive detail to convince themselves of what others are saying. Very interesting, right? God, that's the person that has all these details. Again, Reservoir Dogs. Mm. Well, you remember that. Like, you remember that little detail? Why are you throwing that in there? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So we got a little dichotomy going on here. Yeah. Too much detail, not enough detail. <sighs> Unusual rise or fall in vocal tone. Um. That's, again, I think anytime somebody's mannerisms or voice changes, there's something suspect going on. Direction of their eyes. Much, of, much has been discussed on the topic of truthfulness and eye contact. A commonly held cultural belief in the United States is if a person isn't making eye contact, they aren't telling the truth, whereas in other cultures, eye contact can be considered untrustworthy in a given context. Um, what does it say? A research study conducted in 2015 by the University of Michigan and featured in Time Magazine showed that 70% of people in 120 media clips lied while maintaining direct eye contact. Yeah. I think you get some people that they, if they're looking you right in the eyes and you're like, I did not have sex with that woman, right? That was the classic Bill Clinton. Just straight up, you know, full on bold statement. Um, I think people get that Again, there's a dichotomy where they're looking you right in the eye and they're telling you and you're like, mm, a little too right. a little too rehearsed for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're trying a little too hard. Mm-hmm. Freaking trying a little too hard with this stuff. But the other thing you notice with, with kids, 
Mm. You know, you mm. got the kids and you ask them a question about something. Mm. There's if they're lying, they're gonna look away. They'll like look away. And and you know what's interesting for me, if I'm talking to you and we're I'm trying to explain something to you, I notice that I look I will n- I will not look at your eyes to when I'm thinking about where I'm going or how I'm gonna pull this together or whatever. Yeah. So sometimes when I'm thinking about something I I kinda look away and then I look back. You know, I, I'll look away to think. I don't know why I do that. Do you do that? Yeah. Is that I normal? I think so. I, I feel like that's normal. But yes. then there's a thing where I'm looking away because I'm making up a new part of the lie. <laughs> right? <laughs> like if I was trying to explain to you, hey, from yeah. a leadership perspective, here's what you, you see what I just did? Like yeah. that's for real. I'll do that. I'm talking to you and you ask me a question about leadership yeah. and I go, listen, here's the thing. When you get in that situation, here, I'm, I'm looking away because I'm kind of putting my thoughts together. Yeah. Now if you were like, hey, did you take my credit card? And I'm like, you know, I look away like, how could I have taken your credit card? I mm. haven't been, even seen your wallet since we were at the gym training yesterday and I was in the locker room and you weren't, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, next one, covering up, covering their mouth or eyes. Many people want to cover up a lie or hide from their reaction to it, which is why they may put their hands over their eyes or mouths when letting out an untruth. Okay. I don't know. I, I had a professor in college that, she covered her mouth when she talked every single time she talked yeah. with her hand. Yeah, I do that sometimes. So too. that was, I don't know. I think she was telling me the truth a lot, even though she was doing that. Yeah. Wait, what, should, <laughs> how, what do you mean cover up? Because like, I'll do yeah, this. Yeah, like I'll that, do this kind of stuff. Yeah. I won't go like this. Well, no, but I think but, what you just did is it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know? Little hand up in front of the whatever. I, isn't that like a lack of confidence uh, yeah, thing? Yeah, that's what I think this professor had that I had in college. Yes. I think she lacked confidence. So one she can kind of be linked. She was not from America, so her, her English wasn't great. Yeah. And then I just think she was kind of embarrassed. And yeah. so, yeah, she would just cover her mouth when she talked, yeah. which was bizarre. I mean, you know, you have to do it a lot to get me to notice that right now. And it's been, I don't know, many years, 20 yeah. something years since I went to college. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, excessive fidgeting. Think about what a kid does when asked where the last cookie went. They may lick their lips, look at their nails, or even shake hands. And then tell a big whopper of a lie. Yeah. Um, finger pointing. The act of pointing at li- this is literal or figurative. The point of the act of pointing towards something or someone else with gestures or words may signal a surefire desire to take the focus off an individual. Cool. Uh, lie detector tests. I've had two friends do lie detector tests that debriefed me on it. Yeah. And one of them was a super kind of honest guy. And he got got crushed by the lie detector test. <laughs> he just, as soon as it's, as soon as they, because they make you lie to it so you can see what it does. Yeah. And as soon as they even started to get to the thing that he was supposed to lie about, it went off the rails. Huh. What so what it said he was lying when he yep. wasn't lying? they say they say hey okay echo think of a number between one and five mm-hmm. you got it in your head mm-hmm. okay now when I ask you if that's the number say no mm-hmm. and I go what were you thinking of one mm-hmm. and you go no were you thinking of two and you say no do we thinking of three and w- if you were thinking of three all of a sudden that thing starts going off the rails so that's how they set you up oh, no where you realize like damn this thing is good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but can't you, isn't there all kinds of ways to beat yeah, the lie detector? that's why, yeah, there are ways to beat it. And so I had another friend, and again, this is weird, because he was a l- not as honest of a person and kind of sometimes lied a lot about like little things, you know, people that like just yes. kind of habitually lie about stuff. Yeah, psychos. Yeah, it, well, he wasn't a psycho, he's a good so guy. Super. He just like had that weird personality yep. trait. Mm-hmm. And he, well, this is what's interesting. He had to take a lie detector test too. And he got back and I said, well, how was that lie, lie detector test? He goes, I flatlined it, meaning he just didn't right, get right. picked up, which could have been a lie because he was kind of a liar and that sounds really <laughs> cool, right? It doesn't sound cool. Like, yeah, dude, yes, that's sir. super cool. Yo, yo, damn, dude, you're freaking awesome. Or he could have been telling the truth, but he just lies all the time. So it's just no right. factor for him just to yeah. be like, no, I didn't never did that. Right. So, and both these guys were going for, you know, jobs in government agencies that require you to take it. So, uh, this is a weird one, self-identifying as a good liar. Perhaps the easiest way to spot a liar is to let them do it for you. This study showed that good liars mostly told little lies to colleagues and friends in person focused. That's kind, that's kind of what was going on with my friend that was a bit of a liar. You just like tell these little lies, yeah. like, but all the time. Yeah, and And it's sort of at the group it's almost like that idiosyncrasy that everyone just kind of gets it and just move on with it, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, you know that guy in jujitsu that, um, uh, let's say, taps too easy, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're, like, that's just, but you know, he's right. all our friends, so we're that's just gonna how, deal with it, yeah, whatever, yeah. No, no big deal. This guy would just like tell little, like basically innocent white lies, but yeah. all the time. And what, like what though, like, you know how like someone, someone, lies Mm -hmm. let's say a normal person's gonna lie you can see the clear benefit of their lie like to keep Mm -hmm. them out of trouble or to you know whatever maybe get them some kind of kind of reward or whatever but like these kind in my experience i know a few people like this where like he didn't even have to lie about that that. like it didn't make that 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 definitely is true yeah where you you know if i tell you hey dude i was out till freaking one o'clock in the morning last night Mm -hmm. and i still got up at four Aren't I badass, right? Mm. And you're like, yeah, you're badass. But one o'clock wasn't good enough, so I'm like, dude, I was out till three a.m. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why am I doing that? Yeah. You know, (laughs) this makes no sense. Yeah, it's weird, right? But sometimes people they just want to add a little bit of, add a little kicker on it. Right. The other thing, and I've told you this, I've talked to you about storytelling, right? Where I want you to feel what I felt, and so when the mortar landed. And it was 50 meters away from me and it scared the living shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And I was like freaking hit the ground and I was shaken up. Well, when I tell you that story, I want you to feel that. Yes. So then I'm like, dude, this la- this freaking mortar landed right next to me. Right. Well, how far? Like, like five meters away. You know what I'm saying? So I'm yeah. exaggerating. But that's different though. Yeah. I, I feel like that's like not in the realm of like it's like sociopath or whatever like yeah. that's not a weird pathology in my opinion like no, people so far no wait so far no one that i've talked about is in the realm of sociopath like i know who you're talking about then people yeah. that are just freaking like they're out there and they're just this line just don't care about anything yeah, I mean, but themselves at all a guy like that yeah yeah and i've known people like that over the years it's weird man yeah it's weird what well, the one the guy that i knew said stuff like elaborate stuff that is not only was really easy to go disprove, <laughs> but it had to do with like other people. 
Like he said he was like hooking up with this girl who's literally our friend. It's uh-huh. not like he was like some girl in Canada or something. Uh-huh. It was like our friend. <laughs> like I could literally just call her right now, you know? Yeah. And he'd say, I have this whole elaborate. It was weird, man. And then when you find out, you're like, you're almost scared to confront him about it because you're like, bro, what is this guy capable of, you know? Yeah. But it's odd. <laughs> that reminds it's me of Theo Vaughn was like, he said he's had like a um, fear of being murdered. Yeah. That <laughs> That's what you have. This dude, well, how, how, how do I know what else you he's going to do? Yeah, man. He's lying about hooking up with this chick. He might put an ice pick in my neck. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So there's some of the things, but this is actually what I, this is what kind of got me back wanting to talk about this just because I think this is very interesting. This is, this is the idea of smelling intent, but from a very narrow focus and the narrow focus that this, these, these examples and this knowledge comes from is the game of poker, Hmm. right? So there's a, there's a a website called pokerology.com and they just had these, these tells that indicate different hands that a person might have. Mm. So here's some poker tells that indicate a strong hand. Fluid speech, shaking hands, full relaxed lips, a full ear-to-ear relaxed smile, eyes open, not blinking. So all these things are just like indicating, I've got a pretty badass hand. Like you're so excited, you're shaking. Stares at the flop, then glance out a corner of the eye at players. Like you're looking to think, oh, what's everyone else's reaction? Blood pressure is up. Red in the face or throbbing vein in neck or head. Drawing in a big breath, nose flaring, rapidly breathing, usually mean ready for action. Glancing at chip stacks. Like start looking at the chips on the team, right? (laughs) Impatient, wants to bet. Mm. Suddenly sits back in chair, relaxed, calling or betting. You can see where all these things kind of fit in. Mm. Suddenly sits up in chair, becomes attentive. Man, there's so many ways to read people. A player's hands or fingers going closer toward the action, toward the middle of the table. Uh, Anything held up in the air, shoulders, head, nose, fingers, thumbs, or eyebrows. Sliding chips delicately. Delicately, quietly into the pot. They're trying to cover it up. Look at the flop and then glance intensely at players. Cheek muscles start to flex. Some players try to act relaxed, looking off at a TV or a waitress and then betting. Little tricks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pupils get better, bigger. Protecting whole cards more than normal. Hold cards. Um, acting weak by making a noise, sighing or shrugging as they raise or call. The, the, they give some additional detail there. Why give away information when you don't have to? This is the classic weakness mean strengths. You go, ah. Right. <laughs> don't bet against that guy. Yeah. He's full of shit. Um, and then it says, remember, some of these poker tells are more reliable than others. While most poker experts suggest you should watch your opponent's eyes, I suggest looking at his hands. That trembling hand syndrome is usually the sign of a good hand and it is the kind of tell that can't be easily controlled either. Here's some things that indicate a weak hand. Incoherent, forced, high-pitched, slow, broken, or unnatural speech. Holding breath and not moving. (laughs) Putting chips into the pot with great force. Staring right at you. And then it's weakness means strength. So I'm like looking at you, you gonna bet, Echo? Staring at you all tough. Picking up a handful of chips like they will go into the pot if you bet. Play acting like they're going to turn 
their cards over prematurely, checking whole cards for after the flop, treating their whole cards carelessly, inhales when misses and stares blankly into space, <laughs> <laughs> breathes through mouth when worried, licking or sticking out lips, lips tense, get smaller, upper lip, develop stiffens stiffens biting lip tongue and cheek cheek covers mouth eyes squinting eyes blinking eyeballs rolling hand over eyes fake smile nail biting hugging oneself hands and arms go toward the body toward safety that's interesting because that's the converse of the other one rubbing of hands arms legs let neck hair nose lips chin to pacify oneself that's what you're doing right now <laughs> but I'm doing all of these things you're freaking giving me every single I don't even know we're not even playing poker uh, nervously pressing and wringing one hands until knuckles turn white if they stop riffling chips shaking leg grinding teeth tapping chewing chewing toothpick or gum that's a quite a list pick a few and see if you can spot the tells um, it's important to recognize that beginners will not go into great lengths to confuse you with reverse tells. Don't read too much into their bet timing or body language they're giving off. If you are going to look for tells, just know that the most obvious ones are going to be the most accurate. So I thought that was interesting. I think it's a good reminder to all of us that we can't lie about our intent. And if you think you're getting away with that, it's probably not working as well as you think it is. It's not gonna work on the poker table. And this is also why having a good normal face is very important. And practicing your normal face is very important. Not not just for, not not from a perspective of like, oh, I'm gonna do nefarious things and trick you. But if you come to me with a problem, you work for me and you come to me with a problem, and I'm f- I I've already heard about this problem ten times, and like I'm super annoyed, and I got other things to do, and I give off that vibe. Yeah. I've already started on a bad foot, yeah. right? Already, you're like, oh, you don't even care about this, right? right? So that that's one example, and there's countless examples where if you wear your emotions on your sleeves, right, mm-hmm. you're you're negatively impacting the conversation that you're about to have with somebody, mm-hmm. and that's a bad thing. Th- is this manipulative? No, actually what it is, it's a way to to start the frame, to frame the conversation in the most positive possible way. Mm. And how do you do that? My attitude is I wanna hear what you have to say. That's my intent. My wow. intent is to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. And that's gonna put us off on the best possible foot for this conversation that you and I are about to have about something that I've heard about for 10 times already and I'm, I have to other things to do. Yeah. Yeah, like even in an emergency or whatever, you know, you'd say where if someone comes to you panicking, it's better, even if you're panicking on the inside Mm -hmm. because it's an emergency or whatever, like, hey, if you wear the normal face, it'll help calm people down so you can make better decisions. Might need to reflect and diminish a little bit, you know? Can't just look at them like, it'll be fine. I go, no, you'd be like, okay, oh, hey, hold on. Tell me those details again so we can find out where to send these reinforcements or whatever. When you so, really want to say, we're all going to die. Yeah. The inside, that, come on, bro. Yeah. That's, you know, need to keep you it Practice that normal face. Yeah. Brother, the, I don't know if I told you the story before, but so long, a few years ago, whatever, my water heater mm-hmm. sprung a leak or whatever. You know, water heaters do that. And then, 
So on the water heater, mm-hmm. there was a, a sticker, what turned out to be a sticker mm-hmm. or a magnet or whatever, but it looked like the label on the water heater. And it had the phone number like, hey, if there's anything wrong, call this number, you know, and we'll right. come fix it or whatever. So we call the number and, well, Sarah calls the number and then the guy comes and I hear him talking, right? They're kind of behind the door or whatever. So he's talking and he's kind of this cocky, like sounding guy. So I'm like, all right. So I go, I go, you know, I open the door to go into the garage where the water heater is. And then the guy's standing there. He looks over at me and he like pauses almost like a deer in the headlights almost kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And like puffs his chest out like real big. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, what's up, man? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, huh. That was interesting how flagrant that was. Like Uh, his body language, how it just changed that much. He had a little something to prove. Yeah. Yeah. And and I understand or whatever. Like first off, he wasn't expecting me to come through. He thought he was dealing with just a lady or whatever. And then yeah, whatever. I was a little bit bigger, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I'm kind of Mr. Mr. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm, like, I'm not saying I'm used to that. But yeah, a lot of times like people will. I can see. Mm-hmm. Look, I, look, if I come and meet you for the first time, I can see where your eyes are. Like a lot of mm-hmm. the times, guys will like kind of look me up and down. Mm-hmm. They'll do that, whatever. Not in a hostile way, but they'll see, like, okay, whatever. If I'm doing that, it's definitely in a hostile way. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> but when you get used to it, you know, but yeah. this guy was so flagrant. He straight up puffed his chest out. Yeah. guy turned out, out to be a complete dick, by the mm-hmm. way. Tried to, like, take advantage yeah, of, of all this stuff. But so it was like you could smell it on this guy from a mile away, man. Just yeah. all his BS, you know? Yeah. It was crazy. I was just elk hunting. Sure. Elk. And. I was with a guide. I was in Colorado. Awesome guide. We were a freaking awesome time. We've been hunting for four or five days and finally get a good setup and we get, I, I take a shot at, a, at an elk and um, it's, he was debriefing Dudley and cause he, you know, so I shoot this elk to a freaking 51 yard shot Hell and yeah. like Good shot. Yeah, Looks yeah. great. Let me, Mr. Rephrase Humble over here. Let me rephrase that. Look like a great shot. Yeah. And, and you know, the elk, because when you shoot an elk, they just don't, like, die immediately. They, they, they move. Yeah. They just got shot, right? So I shoot the elk, and, like, the shot was a little bit back, and I'm, like, a little bit back. I go, I, so I shoot the elk, and I go, little back. As soon as I shot, as soon as I shot, I was, like, little back, and I look over at my guide, and, Again, the way the shot hit, it looked like a, even though it was a little bit back, it looked like a great shot. And he was just freaking like, yeah. He was like, he, I mean, you know, you got to be quiet. You don't want to scare anybody. So you're being quiet, but like the look on his face. And he's a great dude. He's like, he's like, super pumped. And he goes, dude. He's like, oh, yeah, dude. He's like, yeah, good. And he's all pumped. And he goes, dude, are you pumped? And I was like, I, he, I forget exactly what, but I was like, cool. <laughs> I was just like super mellow. And part of that is because, when you shoot an elk, you have, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. Um, you shoot that thing, and they, they can live, mm. and you're not, you didn't necessarily kill it, mm. and so it's, it's, it. You can't get excited, yeah. and I definitely am not getting excited. You know, it's was not, that your first one? No, this was the second elk I've shot. Yeah, and so I just, I'm very cautious about getting excited about yeah. it. Um, because you got to go find, you know, you got to go find it. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes, and even in this case, it looked like a, it looked like a really good shot ended up being an okay shot. And basically the elk, as I shot it, I was waiting for, for it to look away. And when, as soon as it looked away, I kind of started to, started to release my arrow mm. and 
it wasn't just looking away though it was taking it it was like starting to take a step so oh, it yeah. had moved yeah. and you know it had moved it's quartering away meaning he's about to leave me and as as he's looking away he's actually starting to take a step so he moved so he you know and one step for them is like two feet yeah. I, mean, I didn't throw my shot off two feet but it threw it off enough that it wasn't an optimal shot yeah um but my point in all this is just remain calm work on that don't let yourself get all freaking geeked up about stuff and that's the other thing is even as i'm taking the shot like people will be like oh dude you're so jacked when you're taking a shot shaking and all this and i was just, and, and i just hunted two elk and 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 got two elk and both of them i was just like yeah. Like kind of mechanical about it, you yeah. know. Boom, boom. Not as mechanical as freaking John Dudley. You yeah. see that dude line up for a shot, and he looks like a robot. Like he goes in. He's he's a he's a um a very colorful guy. You know, he's yeah. fun and you know all that stuff. But when he goes into that mode, he's yeah. just like a different. He goes into just like robot killer mode is that kind of like on rambo when when he <laughs> shot the guy with the explosive arrow remember that scene <laughs> holy cow robot man yeah he'd be busted he, he's getting shot at straight yeah, up yeah robot yeah My is chemical. that what he looks like oh he just like i, yeah. I don't really remember that he's scene. getting shot by the guy across the, the they're in a waterfall yeah like, oh, so, yeah. and the guy's shooting him yeah. right like shooting at him it's the bullets are bouncing off around him and he's missing just, him he's just like <laughs> Explosive arrow though. Yeah, because that's Boom. you know that's what we roll with. Bro, that's how we're rolling. <laughs> Ramble. Oh yeah, yeah. I can uh, see that. Check. All right, let's get to some Q and A. Was that got? was that that video the the video that you showed showed us? Uh, no, that was another. That was that was in Utah. That and was in Utah, and he, even that one like that that bull was closer. That was like twenty probably 22 yards or something like and that. And who is that that was fired up talking on that one? Was that Dudley? Dudley. Yeah, he See, was fired up. Oh, yeah, he's super fired up. Oh, yeah. And, again, it's, you know, that was a shot that, Doug, you know, when that shot hit, that looked like a very good shot. Mm. Even though it looked like a very good shot, I still can't even, like, it's hard for me to celebrate. You can tell in that video I'm kind of like, I'm excited, but mm. I'm not. You don't feel... Uh, like an immediate it's not like you sh just you know scored the winning basket and there it is the basket right. goes through you win right it's not like that huh because there's and and here's the thing I talked to a lot of different hunters and especially like up at elk camp you're hearing all these different stories people shoot elk and they just run away people shoot elk and they shoot they shoot a shot that you couldn't you know they think I, th I think I just shot a perfect shot, whatever, heart shot or lung shot or which is what you're aiming for. And people are like, yeah, just never, we never found them, huh. you know? And it's a, f it, it, that's what happens. So I don't have any like comfort after yeah. the shot goes. It takes not until I find the animal. And yeah. Just watching the video, I was freaking fired up. Bro. You seen that, bro? When it hit, bro, that is the coolest shit ever. When you see that, like straight up. Oh man! Uh, do you want me to get? Are you getting a bow? Is that what we in the game? Oh yeah, well, you know, well, I know at the origin. between that and freaking Rambo, you're kind of like in the game already. Apparently, yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a very. And, and people that, you know, I talk to people up there that have been hunting, you know, I've been hunting, that was my third year of hunting. Mm. I've got friends that have been hunting, Dudley, you know, Cam Haynes, Joe Rogan. Well, Cam Haynes, I mean, Rogan's been hunting, I don't know how many years, a lot of years, but not as many as Rogan or Cam. Yeah. And, you know, both those guys can tell you stories of the craziest stories. Mm. And 
dude it is a freaking hard sport man yeah it is a freaking hard 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 thing to do actually that's what i actually was wondering the whole time when you went is like how do you in this i'm sure there are a lot of them that are different all kinds of different methods or ways mm-hmm. or whatever but how do you guys go you go up in the mountains do you guys camp in the mountains you guys got a cabin up there you guys you, you go out, we're like, staying you, in like a camp and then you go out and, and what's the camp like like tents in that kind no, or like, no, like cabins? buildings like, like buildings. Cabins. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay gotcha yeah. and yeah you go out and hunt and then come back how long is the hunt when you go out and hunt how long is it that? depends it depends on like some days you go you can't you there's multiple different ways you can do it because the elk are active a lot in the morning and then they're active at sunset. So that's the time when they're most active. Uh-huh. And depending on the, if it's really hot, like yeah. they'll just go to sleep during the day. And when they once they go to sleep, you, you can't, it's hard to find them. Uh-huh. You, they gotta be out there because they make noise. They uh-huh. make this bugle noise, which is freaking insane. Yeah. And so sometimes you go out, depending on how far you go out, is it worth going back? Because yeah. if you don't go out very far, Let's say you go out and you get on an elk pretty quick, but you don't get a shot, but you didn't go very far. Well, like, hell, we might as well go back because we got five hours yeah. of not hunting. Right. Or if you already went out far, well, you know, it's going to take us two hours to get back. We can be back for an hour and then spend two about hours getting back out here. Well, we might as well just stay out here. So yeah, you can do yeah. it either one of those two huh. ways. And then, and th- those are the, t- the, the people that go out and hunt public land. Cause I'm hunting on private property, you know, which is a easier deal. Mm. When you go out hunting on public land, you basically go out and you stay out. Mm. So you're bringing a tent, like you said, you're bringing a tent and you're just staying out there for however many days you have designated for your hunt. Mm. And you have to go and find them, you know, on the land that I hunt on, there's more elk. Um, So it makes it, it's it's easier, you know? Like the guys that go out on public land, props. Um, Freaking, I think Cam Haynes told me the average on public land is one out of every nine hunts. So Damn. you go out, so you can go out. I think Cam said his dad hunted 17 years before he got an elk. Bro, that's some, some tenacity it's, right yeah, there. It's tenacity. Yeah. It's tenacity. So anyways, that's that. What do we got? What do we got for Q&A? Q&A. All right. Cool. First question. I'm a younger law enforcement officer three years on at an agency dealing with city leadership that is against the police department. Within the police department itself, we are undergoing a situation where our command staff, captains in chief, are on their way out. And there's a lot of uncertainty where the department is headed. Over the last two years, it feels like our agency can't have a win because of because for every success we have, we face more issues that minimize the success. With the lack of leadership at the top, as well as opposition from the city, what would be the proper approach for someone like me to help assist the rest of the department in improving morale and help us get through these difficult times? Well, um, so a couple things. First of all, control and influence the world that you're in, right? And, and control what you can control. Influence what you can influence. However many people are on your shift, how many of your peers, and you can have so much impact in that. You know, I, I was in the SEAL teams for 20 years. We had good leadership sometimes, we had bad leadership sometimes, we had great organizational leadership, we had bad organizational leadership, like the leadership changed. We had good morale, we had bad morale. And I mean, overall, for instance, there's things going on in the SEAL teams, oh, our budget got cut, oh, we've got this problem, or oh, they're gonna 
disband this group. Like there's things that happen where you would say overall the morale, perception of the morale would be negative. Mm. I always had a good time. And I always had good morale. And the people around me always, we, we always had that core of people that we'd look at the leadership and say, oh, yeah, you know what? Maybe not the best leader, but here's what we're doing. So influence your world. Uh, as far as the chain of command and influencing the chain of command, you, you do want to do that, right? Um, the best way to do that is to build good relationships. The easiest way to build a good relationship is to perform your job in an awesome manner and earn a great reputation. And as you do that, that gives you the platform and the capability and the leadership capital to ask earnest questions up the chain of command, take an indirect approach, build a case over time on things that need to get changed, and not be emotional. So if I say, all right, um, Echo Charles, from now on, every time you go on patrol, you got to wear whatever freaking seven face masks and a f- and a eye shields and a respirator, mm-hmm. right? I don't just go like, dude, this is freaking ridiculous, boss. Why the hell do we do it? No, it's like, hey, hey, boss, I want to I talk to you through a couple things on this procedure that you got us doing. We got we're, we're wearing a respirator, plus we're wearing these masks, plus we're wearing these eye shields. And right now, we're, we're trying to do it. We're trying to execute it well, but every single uh, officer that's working here, when we get all those face masks on and we have the eye shields on, we're getting fogged up. Now we get, we're okay when we're sitting in the cruiser, but as soon as we get outside the cruiser, we start moving around, we're getting fog problems. Like literally we can't see. Hmm. Can we talk about maybe figuring out a way that we can meet your intent, but still have a pragmatic situation that's, that the officers can operate in? So those are the kind of conversations you wanna, and even that, what I just said was a little bit direct, right? I might hmm. back off a little bit, be a little bit less direct, but to just be like, hey, this is freaking ridiculous. Hmm. He's freaking, the chief doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Like all that stuff doesn't help. Yeah. It doesn't help. So. Put document things, document things, write things down, hit record, keep a log, like make document what is happening so that you can present a solid case because that's what you're doing as a, as a leader, as a follower, you're presenting a solid case up the chain of command. Hey, here's, I just want to let you know, Hey Echo, you know, you're my boss. Hey Echo, I wanted to just kind of show you some some information that I captured over the last three months about the impact that this is having. We've had whatever and go through the information so and then guess what you're gonna they're gonna counter back at you mm. and then what you do is you hold on boss let me get a pen because i want to make sure i understand what's happening i want to understand why these things are because i want to be able to explain that to the rest of the team yeah. so you're building these relationships you're having good unemotional um conversations and you're over time you can influence the chain of command most likely mm. Could it be that you're in a business, a department, a company that is just bad and you can't change them? Yes, that is possible. That is possible. So it, it's one of these things, if, if Echo's working for me, I'm gonna do everything I can to get him up to speed, but he's having problems, he's not doing this, he's not capable of doing that, he's, do, he's failing there, he's late for this. So I'm doing, I'm talking to you, I'm counseling you, I'm, I'm mentoring you, I'm writing you up. I'm giving you corrective actions. <laughs> I'm doing all those things. But if at the end of the day, I go through a certain period of time and you can't get it together, what do I have to do? What do I have to do, Echo Charles? 
gotta take punitive action. I gotta take punitive. I gotta get rid of you. Yeah. Yeah. I already did punitive actions. I was like, hey, Echo, you you know, if you're late again, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna, we're gonna dock your pay. We're gonna whatever. I'll take punitive. I already did that. It didn't help. Hmm. So now we've gone beyond all these escalations, and you still can't get the job done. I gotta get rid of you. It can happen in a company too, up the chain of command, where I'm saying, hey, now I'm working for you. And I'm like, hey, Echo, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Hey, Echo, here's where I'm, hey, Echo, we got more bad morale. Hey, Echo, I gotta get these things. Hey, Echo, we don't have the right gear. Hey, Echo, we're taking a lot of heavies from the civilians that we're interacting with. All these things, and you're like, whatever. Mm. Hey, look, I'm the chief, not you. Eventually, I've made my efforts. I've escalated as much as I could. I've gone from indirect to more direct to even direct to really direct. I've backed off again. I've tried different approaches. I've presented good cases. And you're just a freaking idiot. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, I go, okay, here's my letter of resignation. Mm. Chances are that most likely won't happen. Because even if you're my, if you're my chief and I'm working for you, do you want to fail? No, you don't. Do you want to have catastrophic issues inside your organization? No, you don't. So as I start to present these things in a logical manner, unemotional, well-presented cases, we do all right. You start to make adjustments. But if you can't, sometimes you do reach a point where you have to move on. But man, build relationships. Keep your head up. Do your job. Earn a great reputation. Get promoted. It's a good way. I did that. I got promoted. I was like, oh, cool. Maybe I didn't like the way this certain platoon commander was. Cool, now I'm the platoon commander, <laughs> right? Mm. That's a legit way, this is a legit move to make. Yeah. Check, what do you got? Next question, <clears throat> hi Jocko and Echo. I was listening to Jocko and Jordan Peterson's podcast talk about how beneficial it was being an English major in college. Within the past year, I've moved from being an engineer to being an operations manager. As an engineer, I would run small projects and with contractors, but now as operations manager, I have six supervisors reporting to me and 30 hourly employees who work rotating shifts. Developing high-quality written guidance has become a critical part of my job. Having a BS and MS in engineering, we did not go deep into writing skills and focus more on math and science. What type of training, short courses, English degree, etc., would you recommend to help improve writing and overall communication skills? <clears throat> okay. First of all, I feel a little a little unqualified to answer this question because I'm not an academic. And I, I, when I went to college, I just went to college as a job. <laughs> and so I don't have a huge background in college education. Um, and I really haven't done anything. And when I, when I got done with college, I'm like, I'm never going back to college. <laughs> Seriously, I yeah. mean, that's what that's what my thoughts were. Wait, why? Just because if I'm gonna go, if I, because I was studying things, not everything that I studied in college I wanted to study, so I was like, why would I go study things that I don't wanna study? I would just study it on my own, Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Thanks. So, but, okay, that being said, uh, and I think I said this on the Peterson thing, but, um, you know, Shakespeare, studying Shakespeare, <laughs> As cheesy as that might sound, mm -hmm. Shakespeare is not really, it's barely written in English. Yeah. So you have to go deep to try and understand it. And it gives you the, it gives you the recognition that, oh, this doesn't, I don't understand this. How do I figure it out? Well, I got to go look up the words. I got to figure out the context. I got to figure out exactly where this is perspective. This is coming from. And it teaches you how to do that. And if you can do it for Shakespeare, then you can do it for everything. Mm. 
So I think Shakespeare taught me how to understand. It also taught me the weight of the words that you use and how a specific word utilized in a specific way is for a reason. There's a reason. And then that made me think, okay, well, I gotta use the thesaurus a little more often, Mm. (laughs) right? Because there's words that are all mean the same thing technically, but they all have a different, different vibe to them. Yeah, like the word epitome. Okay. I noticed that. Like, you know, if you're the epitome of something, it's usually something negative. So when even though epitome, oh, really? usually that's what it feels okay. like anyway. Okay. So if, if you're like the epitome of humility, it's kind of like, okay, I see it, but it doesn't go. That's uh, maybe not the best that, way to know, say that, it. That might be in your head. I'm not sure if that's definitional. Yeah. Either way, it's true for me, so. Yeah. It's my truth. Yeah, there you, know, you go. It's the epitome of my truth, actually. Uh. So, so that so studying Shakespeare, um, you know, maybe you take a couple classes on Shakespeare. That that can be very helpful. Any English writing class where someone, either the professor or the student professor, what are those people called? Teachers assistants, TA, TA, TA yeah, yeah. or other students are going to pick your work apart. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. That is awesome. If you get someone that can just rip apart your writing, it's going to make you a better writer. And, and what you want to do is you want to develop the skill of ripping your own writing apart. So you can write something and you go through and it's like, that's a bad sentence. Here's too many words here. Not enough words there. That's what you want. Now you could do that. You could just find a mentor, a friend, a, a, someone that's good at writing and start to pick, have them pick your work apart. And you maybe could work as a team and pick each other's work apart. Try reading aloud. I, just did, I was just having this conversation with my 12-year-old daughter the other day. Mm-hmm. You know, I was reading something, getting a little proofreading. Yeah. And, you know, you get to a sentence, you go, read that aloud. Mm-hmm. And she reads it aloud and then immediately, like, knows that it's not a good sentence. Mm-hmm. So reading it aloud is a good way to figure out if your sentence is a good sentence. Mm-hmm. And you have to pay attention because sometimes when you read it aloud, you put emphasis on it that's not there on the page yeah. so you're self-correcting right, and right. you go oh, that sounds pretty good <laughs> yeah. well no it's but it, how is it written yeah. there's a comma in what you said there's no comma on the page yeah. there's a semicolon the way you said that but there's no semicolon on the page there's pauses that you made when you said that but there's no periods in this sentence you got to run on sentence there young lady <laughs> yep. which is disgusting i'll tell you what's disgusting is a semicolon like, I don't know what the heck a semicolon is for, technically. The semicolon is for two elements that are related. They're, they're more related than two sentences. Mm-hmm. They're less related than a comma. They're definitely way less related than a paragraph. So if I have two statements and they're pretty closely related, mm-hmm. semicolon. If they're very related, comma. If they're not very related or the least related, well, not the least, period. And then if they're completely unrelated, kind of, paragraph. If they're totally unrelated, a new chapter. That's crazy how you remembered all this stuff. I remember you went deep on uh, like, do you remember this? You were telling me it was about commas Mm. where you were like, Oh yeah, the I way went deep said, on the serial comma, the, the Oxford like, comma. Yes, yes. I was yeah. like, man, that's and well, that make it makes sense. Well, and I had some freaking, you know, yeah. we had some freaking. That's what you're saying. We had yeah. some issues over that one. Yeah, but even that, like, how you remember that? That yeah, that's that's pretty deep. Yeah. I still don't What's know. What's sad is the amount that I forgot 
Mm. I took a class called advanced grammar and syntax oh, which dang. is yes. like that's when you're just ripping things <laughs> apart figuring out why you use this word and english is a really weird funky language with rules that don't apply here but apply yeah. there. there's all yeah. kinds of weird stuff going on with english and then when you start trying to figure out why those rules are in place it turns into some mayhem yeah. some mental mayhem mm. uh but there you go so right have people look at it. Have people pick it apart. Read. Take a take a class on Shakespeare. I don't think you need to go get an English degree. I really don't. I think you can really improve your writing a lot just by working with somebody mm-hmm. to help you. I started looking at some websites, and I could I, I didn't go deep looking like figure out if there's a online courses you could take or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there is, and I would just go jump into some of those. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of it had to do with like practice too, right? Like just, 100%. just do it, just do yeah. it. You but know, write here's the thing: you, but you can't just write. You have to write, then you have to pick it apart. Uh huh. The otherwise, you could just be reinforcing bad habits. Right. You want to write it, and you at the beginning you have to have someone else pick it apart. Someone that's yeah. a skilled writer. Yeah. It's weird now. Like I mean, obviously I've written a lot now. And so when I see someone that's like a white belt in writing, it's just so obvious. Yeah. Blue belt, real obvious. Purple belt, you're like, okay, well, this person's paying attention. Yeah. That, that's When they're purple belt, they're paying attention. Mm. Brown belt, it's like, okay, now we got somebody with some skills. And then when someone's a black belt, you're like, oh, there's not a lot to change here. Yeah. You know. So reading but, helps then. Like if you read a lot of like Yes, books. it does. Yes, it does help to read books. Hell yeah. <laughs> Check. All right. Next question. I still don't know what a semicolon really is, by the way. It's two two parts, two pieces of information that are more closely related than than two different sentences. Yeah. Still don't know. But actually, I know what it is in. uh, You know what HTML is? Yeah. Hyper text text markup language. Yeah. I know what, I know how to use semicolon in that. Yeah. Tell you that. How's it used? To separate like commands, okay. I guess the, the correct word is to yeah. say, you know, like you know. But are the commands related to each other? They apply to the same deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe you know more than you think, homie. Maybe I do. There you go. <laughs> see all these things related. Boom. All right. Next question. Next question. I started working for one of my best friends few months ago our work relation our work relationship has not affected our friendship in any way so far we have mutual respect for each other and i have no issue taking direction and criticism from them my question is about the other members of the team how can i make sure they don't view me as a plant and feel like they need to monitor themselves around me our personal relationship has been out in the open since the beginning and i feel like i get along great with everyone but at the same time i never know what could be set behind closed doors? Okay, check. Um, like a plant, what? Like a spy yeah, like you're from a spy. the guy? Look, yeah, yeah. Number one here, be professional. Um, you got to be professional. You got that good relationship with your boss. I used to have awesome relationships with people in my platoon that were one, two, three, four levels below me in the chain of command mm-hmm. and still have incredibly good relationships and not put them in positions where they'd feel like they were spies or whatever. So be professional and that means there's you have to you have to form a little bit of a barrier between that friendship that you have and the professional situation that you're in. So so 
be professional. Also, then start building relationships with the rest of the team. Right, start building relationships with the rest of the team. Yeah. That's that's what we're gonna do. You know, as you work with them, you're gonna start building relationships with them. It's cool you got a relationship with your boss, but start building relationships with the rest of the team. Also, don't don't be paranoid about this. Like you can get a little bit paranoid, like oh they're they think I'm spying or whatever. So don't be paranoid because a, a decent amount of that might be in your head. Mm. But at the same time, be a little bit paranoid. Here's where you be paranoid. You'd be paranoid if, you know, it's lunch break and the boss come down and is like, hey, Fred, let's go out for lunch. You should be paranoid what that looks like because it looks bad. Mm-hmm. You should be paranoid if you've got, you know, if you're saying, oh, you know, Fred and I are going to a concert tonight or Fred and I are taking the old ladies out or whatever. And all of a sudden you're, you're, you're just being, oh, it, it's no big deal. I'm mm-hmm. not paranoid about this. No. So don't be paranoid that everyone's sitting around plotting, but be paranoid enough that you don't do dumb shit. Yes, sir. Um, probably a decent amount of this is in your head. And here's the other piece. If he's a good boss, this is really no factor, right? If he's a good boss, what are they sitting around talking about, right? Are they sitting around saying like, wow, he's so awesome. Don't let Jocko here because Jocko is friends with him. No, that's not happening. If he's a bad boss, if he's a tyrannical boss, if he's an authoritarian boss, then you sh- and you start there's vibes like that you should start in using your influence to get him better not by saying hey everyone on the crew thinks you suck everyone <laughs> thinks you're a tyrant yeah. but by saying hey boss you know we can handle that hey you don't need to micromanage on that let me let me talk to the boys and get it done you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. so you start to help him if he's tyrannical which is where this could become a problem yeah. it's a if he's a cool boss hey everyone's like oh yeah yeah, Jocko's friends with Fred, but they're, you know, it's cool, man. Fred's awesome. I wish I was friends with them. Maybe I will be one day. All good. You know, like it's yeah. it's no factor. But if Fred's a freaking tyrant, that's where it can become a problem. Yeah. Especially because you're like Mr. Lovey Dovey with the freaking tyrant, right? Yep, he's <laughs> your best friend. This is not good. Mm. So, so what do you do? You start to use your friendship and your relationship to help steer him in the right direction away from being a bad boss and into being a good one. But be professional, build relationships. This should not be a big factor. Um, don't be paranoid, but be a little bit paranoid. That feels like uh, good advice, and it feels like a good question because I'll tell you this. If someone got hired and I knew there was the boss's friend, bro, I'd feel that. I feel like, bro, this guy's kind of like a spy. Mm. I'm not saying necessarily he feels like, or necessarily I would feel like he was hired to be a spy. I'd feel like. Yeah, like if I cut this corner here and there or if I slack or if I yeah. make a little mistake or something and I feel like, oh, yeah, he'll tell him that's his friend. Well, that's a good. That's the other end of the spectrum. You know, I talked about if the boss is bad, if the crew is bad, yeah. if the crew is bad and now you're like they're cutting corners and doing unsafe things and treating clients bad. Guess what? You may have to start saying, hey, hey guys, what are we doing? Yeah. Like, I know Fred. This is not what he wants happening out here. He's yeah. trying to run a business and we're hurting him. Yeah. You know, you might have to have some of those conversations eventually. Yeah. But if you got a decent team and you got a decent boss, this should be no factor. But yeah. he see he didn't mention either one of those things. He just said, Hey, you know, I got this job and I don't want them to view me as a plant. If they're sneaking around, yeah. stealing freaking equipment and stuff, yeah. guess what? They should be paranoid. Yes, sir. But you gotta admit. Let's face it, in the real world, I mean, in a vacuum, yes. But in the real world, there's no perfect employee, you know? 
And no, no, there's no perfect employee. But look, to say, hey, I got a crew and they're not stealing from the company, that's not rare. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, steal. I'm not talking about stealing. To me, stealing is like an obvious thing. Okay. So, I remember. Okay, I worked at the nightclub in the nightclub we industry. Know, dude. <laughs> It's the only freaking job you've ever had. <laughs> yes, ever. No, I worked at Foot Locker too, by the way. Oh, yeah. The referee uniforms. Oh, damn. Old school. Anyway. How um, long did you work at Foot Locker for? No, no, no. This summer. That was my <laughs> so first job, job ever. Job yes, freaking brag I, was, I was a mover too for American movies. Oh, that's right. I remember that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hard Check. labor. Anyway, nightclub at the end of the night, after everyone left, we'd help clean up, take out trash, like all this mm-hmm. stuff, right? So I remember this one guy, and I didn't do it. This one guy, um, who was it? What was his name? Maybe Matt. Actually, it was this guy. Matt. Anyway, mm-hmm. he we're clearing. You got to take all the empty glasses and you got to stack them up and give them yep. to the bartenders. Bar yep. right? That's part of the and the throwaway trash. So he was in after, after everyone leaves, bro, you just want to leave. You mm-hmm. just want to go home. Cleaning up is not fun. That's not the fun part of the nightclub job mm-hmm. or whatever. So we're hurrying up. If you're dilly dallying, it's kind of like it's kind of it's kind of whack. So anyway, this guy, Matt, he's like basically like with his arm just shoveling everything into the trash can, right? And he's trying to avoid the glasses because the glasses you got to give to the thing. But every once in a while, like, he'd accidentally, like, knock over a glass or something like that. Mm. And he'd be like, he'd be like, all right, well, we'll pick up the glass. Now, in a perfect world, the perfect employee would be like, hey, you're rushing too much. So, like, even breaking one glass because you're rushing, like, the, if, if there was, like, the boss's best friend next to me working, mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, shoot, he's going to go tell the boss that I was, like, rushing. Mm-hmm. Even though that, as an, in, as an isolated incident, it's kind of innocent, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, if that was his jam, he didn't give a, he didn't care at all. He was just shoveling mm-hmm. glasses in there because he wanted to get out of there, just wasting glass, mm-hmm. wear, whatever, then okay. But I'm just saying, like, it, as a human being, you make mistakes when you have teeny tiny fairly insignificant interests in getting out of there quick you see what mm-hmm. i'm saying you can make little mistakes but if the boss's best friend is there it's different mm-hmm. you're right and that could be a factor is what i'm saying so if you're the boss's best friend you should be aware of that yeah well he's trying to be the guy that'd be like hey i'm not here for that i dig it i'm with you i'm a worker just yeah, like but you, if, you yeah know? yes on if it's a little insignificant thing, you need to build that relationship so people realize you're not paranoid about it. But also, if you see a dude freaking with his hands in the cash register, yes, sir. Like we got an issue, yes, sir. Don't yeah. be jacking the place. Well, yeah, and again, that that part. Uh, um, and I'm putting myself in the other gut people, like yeah. the other workers who's not the best friend. Yeah. I'm putting myself in their position, yeah. and obviously, I would never steal from the cash register. That's obviously. Why, that's why I think it's good to be paranoid. To not be paranoid, but be paranoid, right? Yeah. You, you don't want to just be like, oh, everyone's watching. But at the same time, you got to remember they are watching. Yeah. I think that's, you got to find a good balance there. Yeah. And I think actually what you said for first, when you were like, build a relationship with the, with the with people, the team, with the yeah. team, that would nullify the whole deal. Yeah. Because Occasionally you ever, freaking throw a glass into the freaking floor. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> You know, okay. I mean, maybe, maybe not, but either way, like what that would achieve is exactly what you're saying, where it's like, oh, you know, that at least, the very least, they don't think you're a plant or a spy for the boss. And also, over time, when nothing gets reported up the chain, but here's where you got to be careful. Maybe today Echo's freaking knocking over a glass. Maybe tomorrow he's freaking in the tip jar. Maybe on Sunday, this dude's digging into the register. So I got to also have limitations on what I'm going to allow. And, and yeah. what I don't do is, is I might be like, dude, what do you, hey man, those tips are for everybody. 
I might just call you out like, hey, bro, are, yeah. are you getting ready to divide those up? Because I saw you in the tip jar. Yeah. What's going on? Are we good? So I'm not going to. And matter of fact, I would give you indications that I'm not okay with that earlier than that. Mm. You start breaking glasses, I'd be like, cool. I'd be like, hey, man, are we just throwing glasses on the floor? I might give you indications to let you know, hey, man, what are you doing? You know, like, and that's very important. This is very important in any leadership position. You need to, you need to make sure that people understand where you stand. Yeah. So, what does that mean? When people start to get out of line a little bit, you need to pay attention to it. And then if they start to get out of line too much, you need to check them. You don't need to check them hard, Mm. but you need to say, hey, Echo, man, are we just like throwing away glasses right now? Like those glasses cost 12 bucks each. That's $40 that just went on the floor. Well, is that what we're doing? You know what I mean? I got to check you. If you drop one glass a night, it's like, yeah, hey, dude, I'm not going to bother you. Hey, you know, cool. Like you said, mistakes happen. Mm-hmm. A couple glasses last night. Okay. All of a sudden, it's like six glasses are on the floor. I I need to check you a little bit. Mm-hmm. I What I don't do is let you start, you know, glasses are all over the floor. Maybe you're walking out with a bottle of Jack at the end of the night. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It goes from Jack and then you're doing this and then but, and it's escalating. By the time, all of a sudden, I'm like, Hey boss, Echo Charles is a thief. He stole money from me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to let you get there. So I need to keep people in the lanes. Can they hit the guardrail a little bit? Yes, but I'm not going to let them freaking start to go through the rails and off the rails. This is where people make mistakes as leaders and they get themselves into a point where here's what's really jacked up is I can get myself into a point where you took a bottle of Jack and I saw you take it and you know I saw you take it. Well, now what am I? I'm culpable. So if you don't say anything, yeah, if I don't say anything, yeah. you know, now it's like, oh, now he's got his hands in the registers. Maybe you, maybe you get your hands in the register and you hand me a hundo, yeah. right? Yes. And I don't say like anything. Maybe the first time I, you know, you 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 grab some tip jar money. Yeah. Waitresses don't do shit, man. Here's twenty. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If I don't check you. Then I end up in a situation where now I'm wrapped up in it and I got a real freaking problem. Yeah. Because when I blow the whistle, I'm I'm part of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm blowing whistle on myself. Yeah. None of this has to happen. If your if your team knows, mm, yeah, hey, <laughs> you can't get away with that shit right now. Yeah. With with Jocko. He's yeah. not gonna let it fly. Yeah, fully. And yeah, and, and I meant it less about that part of yeah, that makes sense to me fully. But just about um, just that general dynamic seems very, very realistic yeah. where, you know, you're the best straight up. You're the boss, the best friend. But two important factors too, probably more. But that one. Yeah. Is the boss junk? Like, is there mm-hmm. basically is there a relationship gap between the boss and the people? You know, like, let's yeah. say that, you know, how the boss, even if he's not necessarily a terrible yeah. boss, but yeah. people just eh, he's yeah. the boss. We don't really we don't we're not down with him that much. You know, the manager, the supervisor, whatever, you know, that whole thing, even in final spin, you know, that's a good example, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, and then you get uh, freaking the weasel's best friend mm-hmm. working with freaking Goat and Johnny. It's kind of like, eh, you know, you can understand that that's going to happen, you know, and obviously it's an extreme case. But even a mild case, that that's real, man. 
the, the boss's this, best friend. This could definitely happen. But yeah, but if that guy kind of becomes more your friend and in your eyes as just the team member, this guy's kind of your friend yeah. too and happens to be friends with the boss, like that feeling, that's good. That's cool. As like long good. as, because look, if you're friends with the boss, I might start to see what I can get away with. See what we're doing here. If I can bring, if I can make you a really good friend of mine, then maybe you don't mind my hand being in the cash register. Yeah, but right? I mean, that, that's a whole. I mean, that's part of the game for sure. At, at the end of the day, well, that's but, part yeah, of the game for you. Maybe dipping your hand in the cash. Bro, register. you're the one who brought up trash <laughs> to cash register. I never said that stuff. Check. Mm. All right, let's go. Next question. <laughs> the more of life I experience, the more I realize that I owe, or what I owe to the people who have taught me, and how thankful I am for them. At first glance, learning looks like an endless series of encounters with no rhyme or reason, especially after leaving a structured environment like school. But there always seem to be key people who, whether they wear the title of teacher or not, end up preparing us for the next part of the path. I'm curious to know who the people in your life are who taught you, how you met them, and what lessons they gave you. Can you see a thread that connects them all? What did they sacrifice to teach you? I appreciate the hours that both you and Echo put put in to, to keep this massive podcast up and running. Thanks for consideration for the question. Uh, so I, I, I'm pretty sure I've talked through this type of question before. People often want to know, like, who, you know, who is your mentor? Who's the... Mm-hmm. Um, Clearly, if you read Leadership Strategy and Tactics, there's a guy that I call Delta Charlie in there. Oh, yeah. Delta Charlie was... He, 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 you want to talk about a title like he didn't have the title teacher, he didn't even have the title mentor. He never one time said, like, Let me show you how to do this, Jocko. Here, he never said, Here's some advice for you and your future. He never said anything like that to me. Mm-hmm. It was all just the way he acted, the way he treated us. Um, and that be, left a huge impression on me. Obviously, I learned maybe not as much but i learned a lot from the guy that got fired before him yeah what not to act like yeah. so my and and those are like two extreme examples of things that i've lived through my whole life people that were good leaders people that did things people that have watched so to me everybody is teaching me something good and bad people are teaching me what to do some people are teaching me what not to do you know if you've read about face and the you read the um, the forward that i wrote for that Probably the biggest mentor in my life is David Hackworth, and I never met him before. Yeah. And all I did is read his books and listen to interviews with him. So that's uh, the first part of the question. Um, what is it? What does he say? Who the people in your life who taught you? There's f- so many of them. Most of them are from the SEAL teams, without question. Some of them Army, you know, Hackworth's Army, some of the leaders that I worked with that were in the Army or the Marine Corps along the way, sure, taught me stuff. And some of those people along the way taught me what not to do. So there are some examples. If you're looking for that concrete example, look at Delta Charlie, look at Hackworth. Um, now, the, the thing, can you see a thread that connects them all? This is where I think, I think that, the, I absolutely see a thread that connects them all. And I think if you know the way broadly, you see it in all things, and for me, the, I, that thread started to become relevant or revealed to me through jujitsu, and I started connecting all these dots. But I think you as a person have to start to connect the dots. You have to study the dots. You have to look at the surroundings, and you have to start to do pattern recognition. And that's kind of what I did, jujitsu, combat, leadership, life. I started to look at the 
at the patterns that I saw in front of me, discipline, freedom, health, fitness, reading, writing, knowledge, learning, listening, like all these things, you have to start paying attention to what's going on around you. And, but I think at the end of the day, you have, to f- you have to put them together. You have to figure out, you have to look around and see, okay, there's the pattern. Now you can, I mean, I do my best to, to explain the path and explain the patterns and explain how they're connected. But just like jujitsu, people can learn, two people can learn jujitsu from the same teacher and end up with different jujitsu. Yeah. They have to adapt it to their personality, their body style, their life. Mm. So it's sort of like that. You kind of have to at least put the, the, the overlay and the finishing touches on what you learned. You can't just take it at face value. There's gonna be, you, you have to put your own context around it. And I don't think anyone can give you comprehensive knowledge on everything. And I, that's why I think I still am reading and trying to learn all the time because I'm still working on it my damn self. Hmm. What did they sacrifice to teach me? I think I learned from people that were not sacrificing for me, but were just living their lives and they were, and I was paying attention to them. Mm. You know, I didn't have someone that was like, okay, I'm gonna, let me take a week off of work so I can teach you or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, did I learn some lessons from the guys that I lost? Hell yeah. So did they sacrifice? Yes. Did I learn from it? Yes. So what did they sacrifice? Everything. You know, in, uh, in leadership and strategy and tactics, um, the 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 dedication to this book now that i think about it it says this book is dedicated to the men of seal team three tasking a bruiser who taught me how to lead especially mark lee who taught me the value of life mikey monsoor who taught me the meaning of sacrifice ryan job who taught me true perseverance chris kyle who taught me about devotion to duty and seth stone my brother who taught me about loyalty and friendship and never let me down Ever. Lessons learned. All right, we got one more. It it seems like like it's like a flurry, like a um, like a vast, like you know how they say, like whoever you hang around with, that's like mm-hmm. the average. Your of, five friends, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your but it's friends. like more than that, right? It's kind of like everybody that, like, okay, you have your main core, like, kind of people who are you're like, oh, okay, you kind of follow suit in a lot of the qualities that they have, or you learn a lot from them. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're around them a lot, or you just are really impacted by um, the stuff that they say even if you don't necessarily hear them all the time. And then you have just little traits from little people that you like come across, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it kind of, but at the end of the day, how it says, or how you said it, um, you morph it to your own personality, you know? Yeah. You got to do the work, right? You you don't get, you, you don't get to learn jujitsu from someone just teaching it to you. Yeah. You got to do it. You got to work it. You got to get on the mats and and then you got to adapt it to your body style and that's the same thing with everything in life like you're not gonna you can't sit there and read a book mm. and be like cool now i know about this yeah you can get a perspective of it you can get the structure of it you can get some context of it but it doesn't 
it doesn't like mean anything until it's been integrated into your into your life. Yeah, huh? Because like, yeah, and jujitsu is always a good example for pre- for a lot of things, most things <laughs> where. You know, okay, so Marcelo Garcia, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at his game, you're like, oh, man, that's good. I could do that. And Butterfly Guard's good. I can do Butterfly Guard or whatever. And then you try to make your whole game like his, and there's a bunch of stuff that you can't really do. Yeah. And Or you got to do it, and it takes so much effort and forceful, and it's clunky, and you just can't really effectively get it down. And then um, then you start to realize and think where, wait, the reason that he can do that so well is not only because of his body style it might be because he had to adjust because of his body style and his adjustment caused him to do it this way. Mm-hmm. So now that's just his jam. Yeah. Now he's real good at it. You didn't have those that stimulus to make you adjust in that way. You're just you, you yeah. know? So you can't take everything like that. It makes sense. Got to adapt. adapt. Kind of like your pigeon. Like I, I've been your mentor like for years now and, and you talk better pigeon. I do. You, know yeah, yeah. you don't bust it out all the time. No, but when you much. do. But when I do, it's that kind. You go. You go. <laughs> it's this it. All right, next question. Hi, guys. I would appreciate some guidance on a dilemma I have been dealing with over the last few months. It's about BJJ. I absolutely love the sport and developed a social circle around it that I really value. To make a long story short, I have had three major three-month breaks from the sport due to a bulging disc in my neck. Times one. So one bulging disc. And most recently, bulging discs in my L4 to S1. Damn. Okay. All right. Times two. As much as I strength train, do physio and and recover, I seem to get injured within a few months, which leads to issues at work. He's an industrial electrician. I know Jocko had neck surgery and continued to train. My question is, do I need to find another sport at this stage? My coach said it's okay for now, and as it hasn't herniated, but the thought of that happening is pretty terrible. I can't think of a sport that will fill the void of BJJ, and it feels dreadful to have to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how old this dude is. He didn't mention in there, you know. Um, f- f- let's let's think about some different options that we have here. Number one. You can train differently, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can you can train jujitsu in a different way, where you're not you're not putting exposing these injuries. Um, you can learn, you can practice, you can drill. Look, the one of the most glorious things about jujitsu is that you get to roll, and maybe you're in a situation where you're not rolling or barely rolling, or you're doing situational rolls, or you're doing controlled rolls, or you're rolling with smaller people, and you're rolling with only really skilled smaller people, and you're rolling with really skilled smaller people with the caveat that you can't get stack passed, and you can't get neck cranked. And that seems like a real downer, because it always sucks to say, well, you know, all right, let's train, but by the way, my neck is hurt, so don't choke me. By the way, my shoulders hurt so don't arm lock me or whatever like that feels real bad to say and it's a real hit to our ego and the other thing to do is like oh you grab my neck cool i'm just tapping i mean 
Um, and, and that's part of it too. Tap early, tap often. Somebody stacks you up to do a stack pass, just tap out. Like, hey, dude, mm-hmm. I I'm sorry. I'm, I really apologize, but my back is too jacked up and I can't just get stack packed like that. It, mm-hmm. Stack pass, it'll, it'll just it'll injure me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering about the physical therapy for the neck and back that's going on. I know a lot of people that have made significant improvements in their situation through like really disciplined stretching, inversion tables, strength training for the neck and back. And and this is another thing that I wonder, like with this, he said strength training, what does that mean? Is he deadlifting 500 pounds in the morning and then rolling in? He's, oh, I think jujitsu hurt my back. Like, mm-hmm. wait a second. Now look, I'm down, I, I, deadlifting prevents back injuries. But also, if you've got irritated back and you're deadlifting and you're not doing it in a controlled manner and you're into that, you're on that freaking trip of, hey, I'm going big, then next thing you know, you look up and you're getting injured because of lifting. Lifting does injure people, especially when we're trying to push harder than we should. Um, I can tell you this for a long time, my whole game in jujitsu is based on keeping my neck safe. <laughs> like, I'm I'm through it now, but for a while I wouldn't. For instance, I wouldn't um, get, go under someone from half guard. I wouldn't go under you. <laughs> I would I would not. That was, just wasn't part of my game. It's it's back part of my game now. Mm-hmm. But for a while, for years, for probably three or four years, if we were in half guard, I wasn't going to go under you. In other words, I wasn't going to go deep half guard. I wasn't going to go anything that could set up a dars for you. I wasn't going to do any of that because my neck was the priority. So I developed my whole game around protecting my neck. Um, so you can do some of that too. So there are some options to explore to make jujitsu. I mean, we have some. We have a couple guys at the gym that basically don't roll. They basically don't roll. They they learn. They apply the techniques in some controlled um, drilling environments, but they're not going to roll. And they're still, I mean, I know a couple guys that have been doing this for years. They can't roll, they got the bad neck, they got the bad back, whatever it is, and they come in here and they do what they can. And they still love jujitsu, and they still get good workouts, and their brain is still absorbing information, and they're still able to defend themselves better, and they still incorporate new stuff into their games. And maybe are they going to go out and compete? No, they're definitely not going to go out and compete. Would they be better at jujitsu if they were rolling? Yes, they would. But what's the alternative? Be bad at jujitsu? Forget about jujitsu? Don't, go. Don't yeah. go to jujitsu? So I think there's some ways to train jujitsu, kind of without training jujitsu. Um, Laborio kind of said that, you know, he's like, hey, you know, I got to change my attitude a little bit and how I'm training. You know, I don't know how old Laborio is, but he's probably at least my age, if not older. And he's like, I have to come to jujitsu. You know, he said, I have to come to jujitsu. Even if I can't do what I want to do, got to come here. Um, All that being said, if you just keep getting hurt and you just can't get in the mindset of, hey, I'm just going to do what I can, it might be time to uh, take up chess or guitar and, and, and do very controlled weightlifting and conditioning and see and how, lo- how long you can maintain good health in all other aspects. Yeah, yeah that's going to be a – I think it would be harder, and I don't know. Obviously, I can't read minds. 
But when you're when you're more towards the beginning stages of jujitsu, this oh, will be yeah. way harder. Oh, yeah, way harder. Because you want to get better, you want to progress, you want to and like people out. The competitive spirit is is there, and that's a legitimate, legitimate. In fact, in my opinion, borderline required element of jujitsu. Dude, Dean attacked me the other day. Like we were training. <laughs> so this is yesterday, actually. Sure. Like he just freaking attacked me and got like just a savage takedown and was just he and oh by the way i was five rounds deep with wes okay right i'm five i'm gonna say that again yeah training with wes yes sir wes is a complete savage i'm five rounds deep with wes dean rolls over from teaching (laughs) primed and he's primed and and i think i had asked him if he wanted to train and then i went and trained with wes i had asked him on text like hey dude are you gonna be there tonight um if i come at this time he's like yeah we'll train cool i showed up Dean's teaching. I'm kind of like, well, and I wanted to learn, but Wes was there. He had his kids with him. He's like, I got to train and get out of here. I'm like, cool. Let's get some rounds in. Five rounds deep with Wes. Dean comes over, freaking just gang tackles me, <laughs> gets like mounted and starts freaking just choking and uh, just crushing me, right? And and abusive, abusive level of humiliation. And then like the round ended for that round. And I like got up and, and then like we went again and then I, I kind of brought it, you know what I mean? Sure. But what's funny is he goes, I could tell in between rounds that you were, that it was going to be a harder round for me yeah, yeah. because that, that's the thing with Dean for me and Dean, when we're training, if he, if he goes, if you don't go, if you don't bring it and he does, it's a real freaking problem. Yeah. It's a real problem. <laughs> if he doesn't bring it and you don't bring it, it's like, cool, we're just doing jujitsu. It's a normal it's a normal interaction on the mats. Yeah. But if he brings it and you don't, it's it's a problem. Yeah. It's a real problem. It's yeah. a problem in all aspects. Yeah. <laughs> so then I had to like go, okay, so I basically have to go, because look, Dean is a thousand times better than me in jujitsu. So it, when that happens and I get humiliated like that, and just crushed like that, I have to go like I'm gonna go fight for my life. Oh, yeah. Like this is, that's what I have to, that's a mode I have to go into. Like yeah. we're fighting to the death now. Yeah. And I can't give him a millimeter. Yeah. I can't give him a millimeter. And it's, Dean doesn't do that, he doesn't go that hard, he doesn't go into that mode because he doesn't have to as much, right? So he doesn't mm-hmm. know, he's not like, oh, he's not just going straight into kill mode. If he goes in that mode, I'm just screwed. Like that's yeah. just how. Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't quite go there, I can b- do a little bit better. Yeah. So my point is that competitive spirit kicks in yeah. and he beat me up. I was like, let's go again. I didn't even say anything to him. He goes, I could tell you <laughs> yeah, wanted to go again. I was like, yeah, you're damn right. Yeah. yeah. And that's part, that's part of the game. And it's, it's really at the end of the day, it makes, that's what makes jujitsu so effective mm-hmm. is that you can train and learn in those environments where the guys are for real. He's competed with you. He's trying to get you mm-hmm. and you're trying to get him. That what's gives both of you guys good training. And what makes it so effective? So now you get in a real fight. Guess guess what that guy is really doing? He's really trying to get you. But you're yeah. used to that kind of stuff because everyone's trying to get you. It's part of it, you know. So especially when you're learning, and your injuries prevent you f- from really engaging mm. in that element, it's like yeah. it's harder. Your instinct might be like, if I can't go all the way, I'm not going. Yeah, right. Yeah. That might oh, be yeah. your instinct. Oh, yes, sir. I'm just I'm gonna say I don't think that's a great instinct. I think the instinct is, hey, I'm going to do what I can. Yeah. And look, it's going to be annoying, yeah. and you're going to have to yeah. put your ego in check every time That's somebody true. goes, hey, you want to roll? And you're like, hey, sorry, I can't roll. Yeah. i got a bad neck. 
And and eventually it's it's might be easier on the surface to just not show up. But I think I would rather continue to learn the techniques, do some drilling, work on my flexibility, work on my stretching, get one of those inversion tables, hang upside down, get that back to relax, do some yoga, whatever the hell you gotta do to start loosening it up and then hopefully you can ease back into it. And if you can't, you're still continuing to learn and grow in the sport, which is good. Yep, when you get more advanced and this is the case, it's kind of like, I think it's a lot easier because that sense of like yeah. proving yourself, all these little mental things that come along with like progressing through right. jujitsu, um, proving yourself to your instructors, to everyone, your teammates, to yourself, like all that stuff is kind of starts to become more and more behind you, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then, yeah, I mean, especially if you're really, if you're, if you're focused on progressing through the belt system and all that, you yeah. get a black belt, you're kind of like, Hey, I, I did, that is a, a goal that mm-hmm. can be achieved. And then that competitive spirit is, is less and less there, you know, you're just, that, then you can flow roll. <laughs> You know, because I just had a freaking twenty-nine minute battle with Dean Lister. Yeah, well, when I was explaining that, not, I, I could see it in your eye that you're about to talk some shit right now, and, and it's interesting <laughs> that that's right what you said. That. Well, you probably oh, realized okay. that, like, okay, I didn't, like okay. probably probably about five seconds prior to you landing that sentence, you were like, "Damn it." <laughs> Damn it! But I didn't I have know work with this jerk. I didn't know that's what we were doing right now. I thought we were really talking uh, about some stuff, but no, nah, man. I am. No, 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 I am. No, 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 no. You don't got. I got free. I, I just got fresh cauliflower here, and Whoa, I'm 50 I'm years old. Dang, that's where bro. I'm at. You want to talk about an <laughs> idiot? Yeah. Well, there, uh, well, right there you go. There's okay. some options. Yes, sir. That's the most important thing. There's some options. Um, cool. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for supporting the cause. If you need supplements, you can get them from JockoFuel.com. If you need Jiu-Jitsu gear, which you probably do, yes, even sir. for the homes here, you can get jujitsu gear, jeans, boots, clothing from originusa.com. You can get stuff to represent on the path. Some good stuff coming out, too, oh, by no, the no, way. I like where you're at. JockoStore.com. Written a bunch of books. You can get some of those if you want. Also have a leadership consulting company. Echelonfront.com. If you want to talk to us on their interwebs, Echo is at Echo Charles. I am at Jocko Willink. And thank you once again for joining us, for supporting us. We're here because you're here. And we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time. This is Echo and Jocko. Out.